Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. You can also support us by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the messy reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. Make sure you check out our first discipleship course on created sexuality that begins in November. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Dan DeGraff. So, Dan, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and the church that you're serving. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I'm Dan DeGraff. I'm the pastor at Baldwin Church Reformed Church in Baldwin, Wisconsin. Uh, We're about 20 miles over the border from uh, St. Paul as far as I-94 goes. Uh, And and so uh, I've been here uh, as pastor for the last three and a half years. Uh, Before that, I was in Corsica, South Dakota. kind of central southern South Dakota for four and a half years, uh, and, and unique place to start out ministry. Uh, uh, it was a CRC and an RCA, uh, at least at the time, they're, they're alliance now. Um, but uh, it, it was two churches that worship together. They do ministry together. They aren't an official union church, um, but that was just a really unique place. Um, and part of that came uh, because I, uh, I've i been a lifer in the CRC, but I went to Western Seminary Um for my MDiv. Uh, and, and so that was, yeah, that was really good to, to kind of see uh, the tension between our two denominations, as well as the things that we might be united on um, similarities, differences in theology. So uh, yeah, so got started in ministry out there. I'm originally from uh, the South suburbs of Chicago, South Holland, Illinois, uh, and then down into DeMond, Indiana for uh, high school. Uh, but yeah, went, went to Dort after that, uh, did some camp ministry down in Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, and then met my wife at my intern church, uh, 14th Street CRC in Holland. Uh, they tell you not to date in your uh, in your internship churches, but and you just did it. I uh, I don't listen to that. So <laughs> I did talk to the pastor, Pastor Marv Hoffman, when I was there. So he was okay with it and had his blessing. But yeah, so Christy and I have been together uh, coming up on 10 years next year uh, of marriage. We've got three kids. Uh, two girls and a son, uh, all under the age of eight. So, uh, yeah, that's, I, 
exciting times, busy times. Uh, I'm not into, you know, so much of the sports and extracurriculars yet, but, uh, but life is, is plenty busy having them around. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was just talking to, uh, another dad who I think he maybe has kids about the same ages as you. And he was like, I don't know, does it get, does it slow down or does it get busier <laughs> when they get older? And I, I keep, I tell everybody it just changes. Yeah. yeah. Um, the busyness of life, like, yeah, when they're little, the busyness is all around you just trying to like keep them alive and fed and, <laughs> um, and then they get older and then you're still trying to keep them alive and fed. They, they eat a lot more and they're running around a lot more, but the busyness just, it doesn't get worse. It just changes. And so, I know for some, they kind of cry thinking, oh, I thought it was going to get easier. <laughs> no, but, uh, but it, it's not going to get worse either. It just kind of changes as the kids grow up and get older. Yeah. Right now you try to keep them quiet during the church services. And then later on, you're just trying to keep them in church. So, you know, something like that. So. <laughs> that's, that's right. Or get them to speak up, get yeah, them to speak yeah. up during church. Yeah. <laughs> now, now it's time to speak in church. Stop being so quiet. Say yeah. something. <laughs> do it. Do it. Yeah. So I'd be curious what what brought you if you're a lifer in the CRC what brought you to Western Seminary? Yeah, so I uh I started out uh I went to Facing Your Future at Calvin Seminary when I was a, a senior in high school. Uh and at that point kind of was was starting to think about ministry a little bit. Um and and I thought about university chaplaincy uh, thought about church, you know, pastoral front of the congregation type ministry. Uh, and in my first year at Dort, uh, I was in pre-seminary and just got bored with it and said, there's no way I want to go to school for more than these four years. Um, and, and so, yeah, youth ministry was my out at the time. I'm like, you don't need seminary for that. So let's just do it. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, by my second year, I was I was just bored. Like theology, my whole life has just been head knowledge. Like uh, grew up in very, uh, very strong conservative churches, Orthodox churches with confessions. Um, and I've greatly appreciated that, but just was like, if this is all ministry is going to be about, I'm, I'm just not there. And, and for whatever reason, I was in a criminal justice introduction class. Uh, and that was fun. Uh, that was fun and exciting. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go into juvenile corrections uh, and Western was hosting my sophomore year, uh, you know, so, uh, seminaries will come to colleges and they'll have kind of intro days or evenings. They were offering free pizza. And, and so I said, you know what, I want free pizza. Uh, and, and so I went to that and got connected with their admissions guy. And he, he stuck with me whenever he would come to visit Dort over the next three years, he, he'd stop by, he talked to me. Uh, and I said, you know, I really, I'm not, I'm thinking juvenile corrections. I don't need seminary. Uh, and Western has a, an MDiv MSW masters of social work, dual track program. Uh, and so that's what he was trying to hook me with. Uh, and when I came around to, to acknowledging that my call uh, was to, to pastoral congregational ministry, uh, that was just before my senior year. Um, I said, you know what, I, I'll, I'm going to seminary. Uh, and, and it kind of, it came down between Kelvin uh, Western and uh, Mid-America Reform Seminary. Being in Northwest Indiana, I've got connections to there. Um, and really, I, I didn't know if I could handle taking Greek and Hebrew at the same time my first year. And so that kind of steered me away from Mars. Uh, and, and then Calvin, I, I don't know, I, I just didn't, yeah, never thought about it. And, and 
seeing where the RCA and the CRC were at that point in time. So this is uh, 2011 is when I graduated college. Uh, there was, you know, there was a strong hope that maybe these two denominations would come back together. Uh, the Pell Accord, um, I think I was there at that synod in 2014 as a candidate. Um, and, and so it was, it was really good for me just to get into that world. Uh, and, and having grown up, you know, in Chicago and the RCA and the CRC were very divided. Uh, yeah, just, there was, there was very much a conservative liberal split, even fighting going on. Um, and, and I wanted to see, is there something more that can be done? And so that, yeah, that's a lot of what drew me over there. Uh, I told the admissions guy, Hey, I'm just going to do MDiv, not masters of social work as well. Um, but yeah, that was why I, I did EPMC. Yeah. During my third year. So I'm one of those people who try to get it done as fast as possible. Um, and was out. Yeah. Completely. Uh, in, in the Canada and in three years. So. Yeah. Very good. Dan, having spent time at Western and Calvin, correct. Yeah. Uh, kind of speak about your experiences, like at both of those seminaries, was it really enriching for you? Challenging? What was that like? Yeah, so so I was at Western in residence for the first two years, um, and, and I, I would recommend anyone looking into seminary and looking to go into ministry uh, to to go to an in residence program. I, I think it's extremely enriching to have the community around you. Um, I I gravitated towards um, one guy who became my best friend, ended up being my my best man at my wedding, uh, and me and him, you know, we we hung out together. But there was a, another group of guys. Uh, that that we uh, had weekly devotions together once a week in the morning. Uh, we lived in in the friendship house, so there's a, a house uh, at that point in time uh, that people with with uh, mental disabilities live in, uh, in high functioning adults, and and so uh, they're your roommate. Um, and, and so that's where we were living, and it was that group of guys that that we did devotions with. Um, but but so from that standpoint, you know, when I got to Kelvin, uh, my third year. Uh, my wife and I had just gotten married over the summer. We had, in, I had interned in, uh, Hamilton, Ontario, uh, out at, uh, out in Dundas and the, the community part of things was definitely there for in-resident students. And I think Jason, you can probably speak to that from your experience. Um, but, but as an EPMC or, you know, it was mainly just our group. It was just, I think there were about eight of us in the EPMC group. Um, but, but I mean, from a, a curriculum standpoint, uh, you know, Western was, was very much geared towards leadership. And, and that wasn't why I was there. I was in seminary uh, at, at that point, And I can recognize immaturity now. Um, like I just wanted to get the degree. You needed the degree to get into ministry. And that's what I was there for. Um, but one of the recommendations I made at the end of my time at Western was, Hey, I want to see more Bible classes. Like you, uh, as a student coming in, if I hadn't grown up in the church and hadn't gone to Dort and taken a biblical education minor, like I, I wouldn't be prepared biblically to, 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 ex, you know, be expo expose on God's word and, or expound on God's word. Uh, and, and so that was a big thing that I, a big thing lacking at Western. Um, the other thing I, I noticed, and, and, and so Calvin allowed for more of that. And I know through uh, just requirements and electives there were more Bible classes that were more available to students. Um, but one of the other things is that uh, I think Western focus more uh, on kind of just an evangelical formation. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we dug in a little bit to the confessions. We dug in a little bit to Kelvin's institutes, 
Um, but we didn't really get into the meat of, of Reformed theology and that our Dutch Reformed tradition uh, speaks to. And so I, I see that uh, as a stronger piece of Kelvin, uh, still not maybe, you know, conversations that we've had since Synod, maybe not as strong as what it should be and could be. Um, but I think Kelvin excels in that area compared to Western. So, yeah, I want to, I want to go back. Uh, probably a long ways back. Maybe it feels <laughs> like I'm just like jolting the conversation, but right. you said something that um, I've, I always like to dive into with people. Um, you had made the comment that you grew up in a conservative church, you know, had catechism teaching, um, but you felt like it was all just kind of head-based and you were like, I don't really want anything to do with that. Um, I, I want you to expand on that a little bit more on what that, um, what that teaching looked like and what about that kind of made you go, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was at Synod, I was, I was the one who spoke up and said, yeah, I grew up in catechism from third grade to fifth grade, I think. And then I switched churches, was in catechism for junior high, uh, and then uh, ended up going to a URC more so than the CRC during high school. Uh, and, and so that's where I got grounded in the Belgic confession. Um, but all of those experiences, you know, looking back, shaped me to know if you wanted to know what I believe, I've always been able to give you that answer. If if I wanted, if someone wanted to know, you know, how does God do this? Or how are we saved? Or what does this mean? Um, like, I can think back, I made profession of faith in eighth grade. And I had said something in my interview before the, the elders about free will. I have no idea what it was. But like the pastor made a point to be like, this guy who's 13, 14 years old, is talking about free will already. And uh, so it was, you know, there was a lot of that. Um, and yeah, through through a, a punishment for something I did stupid during my freshman year of high school, uh, my parents sent me on serve that summer. Uh, and <laughs> that was, that's a good CRC punishment, right? Go on the serve trip and uh, they'll fix you. Uh, <laughs> so I went on serve and I recognized um, that, that service just wasn't a component living out our faith in service wasn't a component of my faith up to that point. Um, and that's, that followed me. So I went on serve trips the next three summers. Uh, and then the, the camp I worked for was down in Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, it's called adventure serve ministries now, but basically, I mean, interdenominational, uh, we youth groups come, uh, just one youth group, they spend a week at a campground or at uh, a base camp, and then we would do inner city service. That was my part of the, the program. Um, and, and when I when I was sure that God was calling me to, to pastoral ministry, and I'm not saying I've got this figured out. Let's let's be clear on that. But but he he made clear to me that what had woken up in me, you know, six years before about service is something that doesn't just have to happen outside of the, the congregational church with parachurch ministries. Uh, that is something that we should be about. Um, and, and I think as I've grown, you know, more into adulthood, I'm recognizing now, you know, people, Christians daily work, their careers is service, is, is kingdom service. And so that's really important. Just because they make a paycheck doesn't mean it's not service to the kingdom of God. Um but that was one of those things where I even went into Kelvin, I think in one of my candidacy interviews and said, yeah, like all that head knowledge theology is just boring to me. Like <laughs> it doesn't apply to life at all. And uh, 
it might have been Carl Bosma or someone that was like, well, theology kind of is supposed to be practical too and applicationary. I'm like, yeah. And uh, so I had some growing to do, you know, mm-hmm. as a 24, 25 year old, whatever it was at the time. But um, yeah, look, you know, now, if I can speak to now, I, I, I love the confessions. Uh, one of the things that I was doing during COVID was uh, reading through Kelvin's Institutes and I would write kind of a daily yeah, it ended up being like a daily essay, one page single space essay on just what what the institutes present. And that was super enriching. And people are like, how can you say that you think theology is boring? And I'm like, I, I that was just immaturity, you know, like I had to grow. Um, but but I've told people like, especially with these confessional conversations that we've been having in this last year, the, the confessions to me, uh, they they don't just present what we believe but but they're a, a, a they're they're like google maps they 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 show you how we get from a to b and, and they they bring in like okay you believe this and you believe this well let me tell you how those two things connect and i think that's what the confessions um in particular do really well um so yeah 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 well and what i what i love about that uh it kind of went in a different direction that i was planning but it's a good direction here what i love is um, and I don't want to keep kicking this dead horse, but I guess the banner keeps kicking this dead horse. So I'm going <laughs> to pick it up and kick it again. You're going to match their is, intensity, huh? Yeah. Is there kind of doubling down on this idea of loveless orthodoxy, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> another way you could talk about loveless orthodoxy is a head knowledge without a heart knowledge, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I just keep, so here, here we're talking to somebody who's, being accused of being lovelessly orthodox and he's he's saying uh yeah i didn't really want to be in a denomination i didn't want to be in ministry if it was all loveless orthodoxy if it was all a head knowledge without a heart knowledge and and so i just like this is why i want to like just scream is because actually most of the people i know i'm the same way i'm like this is not just about a head knowledge like uh this is this is about so much more than a head knowledge, but it's no less than a head knowledge either, right? I just uh, actually, let's go to the Heidelberg Confession. What yeah. is what does true faith consist of? A true and present knowledge, right? That's the first yep. thing. You have to know something. You can't put yep. your faith in something that you don't know. But but then it goes on, and then it says, but it's also a wholehearted trust. Absolutely. And so it's you have to know something first, but then it has to move from your head and down into your heart to into this wholehearted trust. And, and like, I don't know of any conservative that doesn't actually shoot for that. Right. 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 And, uh, and doesn't wholeheartedly believe that. And so um, that's well, at the it, core of who we are. Yeah. And I mean, you, you hear about, you know, the frozen chosen, I think growing up, you know, you, we, we, I had a few classmates who weren't reformed in, in high school and, and you'd hear, well, that's great, you know, that you guys believe in predestination, but of course that means that evangelism doesn't matter. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like <laughs> we we don't know who is saved. And that's why you do evangelism. Like if we love the Lord and we want people to experience what we experience, we've got to share in. Um, but I think also too, you know, I, I've, I've gotten into conversations in my area uh, with people of other traditions and, uh, you know, they'll bring up a point you know, that, that seems rather crass, you know, uh, are, are the children of, 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 uh, of non-believers just as much saved as the children of believers are if they die in infancy. You didn't expect this conversation to go there, Jason. I'm guessing that, but, <laughs> <All good. laughs> 
but but so you know that was a conversation i was having yesterday in a bible study and like the answer that i can give to that seems seems crass you know i i think there is a case that could be made that that no an infant of a of of unbelieving parents may not be saved um but that doesn't mean that the conversation stops there you know and, and that's just like synod you know what what we've said what our denomination has always said about uh homosexuality as well as premarital sex extramarital sex divorce the rest of the things that we talked about like we have an answer that we believe is rooted in scripture and that god speaks very clear uh and and consistently about but that doesn't mean that that we're not welcoming people into our churches that we're not wanting to disciple them absolutely not like that is that that orthodox answer gives us our drive to say hey we want you to experience the grace and the love and the mercy of jesus christ that can change your life and and that changed our lives so um yeah yeah well and then and just even what you're saying kind of again pushes back against this narrative and i wasn't planning on talking about synod this much but um pushes pushes back against this narrative that what synod did was end the conversation yeah yeah and uh and i keep telling people no actually we just laid some foundation so we could actually Mm. have a helpful conversation absolutely you you can't have a helpful conversation like the 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 state of the crc right now well i should be we should be careful right seven there's 70 percent of the crc that has agreement on this and 30 percent of the crc that doesn't have agreement but that 70 percent and that 30 percent are at at an impasse where we can't have a helpful conversation because we both think the other position is doing harm and damage. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and I'm, I think they're doing harm and damage. They think we're doing harm and damage. How can we have a conversation at that point? We can't. And so like we had to draw a line in the sand, we had to draw a boundary so that now, you know, we can actually have some form of a helpful, healthy conversation and figure out how to how to do ministry in this context and do it better. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the questions that that you brought up before this was, you know, what are some of the biggest cultural challenges we need to overcome? And that's one of those, you know, I mean, obviously, we could talk about apathy, we could talk about race, we could talk about gender and sexuality all day long. But the reality is just like you guys talked about in the last couple episodes is there is this distrust in our denomination. Um, and, and part of that extends to the fact that our denomination, uh, for its relatively small numbers compared to other large reformed and, and orthodox uh, denominations in the states, and, and we could even say in the world, uh, we just have a huge footprint. And, and so the, the issue with that isn't, you know, I'm not just talking institutionally, but we, we go in a lot of different directions. And if we aren't having the same conversations, if we aren't being guided by the same principles, then it's really hard, you know, for this group over here to say, well, this is what we're about. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the 70%, 75% is saying, hold on a second, like that is completely off base. So we're, we're just, we are so large in terms of, uh, you know, as more and more of the world has been more and more connected than ever. Uh, somehow we've also drifted way far apart and and we're not having good conversations. And so that is like, we absolutely need these foundational things, which again, some people would say, well, isn't the word of God enough? Uh, 
I, I'll put some of my my church members on the hot seat and say, you know, when we were going through the human sexuality report, they said, you know, 175 pages, this is too long. Like, why can't we just have one page? Isn't that enough? And I said, well, it should be enough, but we're not there. You know, like we need, we need this fleshed out more um, so that we can, so that we can be on the same page and, and not assume things about each other that end up not being true. Yeah. A, a way that I have always uh, kind of talked to people about this is what was decided at Synod and what was declared is a good way to um, lay out a framework mm. for how to actually have the rest of this conversation. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's exactly the same thing you guys are saying. The conversation didn't end. It was just a more definitive and clear way to have a beginning of the conversation. Yeah. What do yeah. you think about that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, if one of the things I've appreciated, I think, in, in what I've seen uh, from Aaron Reisman in his latest banner article and uh, in some of the responses to uh, to what Chong has been putting out is that, that there is a desire to continue on. There's a desire to say, okay, this is where we're at. Um, we were talking about a little bit before about, you know, we – we've had conversations uh jason and i as pastors willie you too i'm sure like we've had conversations with people who are either you know in the lgbt community or who associate with that community and and, and this this hasn't the the answers and the decisions that we've made haven't said we're done with those conversations we're done with those people like absolutely not like we are we want we want clarity to use Jason's favorite synod word. Uh, we want clarity on this, but we also do want them to belong. Like those don't have to be uh, completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, we we will continue to speak the truth, but we're going to do that in love, and we're going to do that in a way that we hope they do belong. Um, as much as much as we do with our own sins, like just because we aren't struggling with uh, homosexuality, uh, we've got plenty of our own sins that need not be overlooked. Um, and, uh, but again, ideally the ministry of the church, the discipline and discipleship of the church all along has been saying, yeah, absolutely. You need to, you need to be convicted of your sin and, uh, and experience sanctification too. So. Yeah. Well, and just to jump into that even further, um, we, 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 clarity is loving. Uh, I'm going to keep that. Clarity is loving because, we need to clearly know our sin and I, let's 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 take out the whole lgbtq conversation and let's just talk about um a sin that we all struggle with i guarantee pride yep. um you pride. know is <laughs> yeah we're all we're all self-deceived in our own pride right and we all like to we all like to look at even our own selves and our own sin and be like, well, is that really pride or is it just, and we start twisting words, right? And we start yeah. trying to change definitions to try to deceive ourselves to to just convince ourselves that we're not prideful. And so we need someone to come in and give clarity to our sin so that we know what to repent of. I mean, think about that in, in Romans 7, you know, that's what, the apostle Paul said, right? The, what did the law do for him regarding coveting? It gave him clarity yep. Yep. on what that sin was. He said, before that, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then the law provided clarity and said, this is what sin is. And now that he knows that that's what sin is, he can turn from that sin 
and, and run away from it. And I'm, uh, preach, I'm preaching through the Ten Commandments right now, and, and that was the thing. Like we got to the the Seventh Commandment, and and I think Willie, if you actually listen to the sermon, you can tell me otherwise. I I told him I think I said the word sex in some way, shape, or form forty times. <laughs> So that was great. That wasn't the most comfortable thing. You watched everybody squirm every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I said, you know, I, I mentioned the word homosexuality once, I think, in that whole sermon. I said, we have all these other things to deal with before we even address the people that aren't really in my context right now. Um, we have our own issues to deal with. And and that that comes up, you know, I mean, you can preach. I'm preaching, I think, 30 minutes on each of the commandments right now. Uh, you could definitely go a heck of a lot longer um, pointing out all the different ways that, that, hey, we have fallen short and we continue to fall short. And as soon as we think we've beat it in one area, we come up with another way to break the commandment, you know, and that is, uh, we, yeah, there, there's plenty of things we need to work on in ourselves. Uh, we're not just picking on other people. No, we need, I, I want people to give me clarity on, on what sin I need to repent of in my life. I mean, that's, that's really what I want because I want to turn from it because let's be honest, we know this, right? We should know this. Sin is destructive. I mean, it, it has two different levels to it. For one, sin is dishonoring to God. That's mm-hmm. why we should hate it. But second, sin is also destructive. It destroys you and the people around you. And so that's also why you should turn from it because it dishonors God and it destroys people, right? The wages of sin is death. And so that's why we want to turn from it. And so the fact that, that we just, we don't have clarity on some of these things or that we can't see how clarity is loving. Mm. I, I, there was this interesting comment and I'm, I'm assuming it was directed at me um, on, on Twitter after synod and somebody said that they were really disturbed by me talking about how I needed clarity to help point this person who struggles with gender identity stuff. I needed clarity to help point them in one direction or the other. And they're like, you just point them to Jesus. And I was like, dude, like what, where? So, yeah. So, so I when I went away yeah. from something to Jesus, you know, like that's, yeah. When I went to Corsica, uh, again, I, uh, one of the down points of, of Western is that I didn't get a lot of, you know, Bob Inc. or even Burkoff really. Uh, maybe they were quoted in a book I read, but it wasn't like, Hey, you should be reading this and know what these guys said. Uh, so I had a, an elder or no, he wasn't an elder. He was a search committee member from that church contact me. And he's like, so what do you think of what Burkhoff says on this page in systematic theology? <laughs> like, all right, well, I'll pull out systematic theology. I'll look it up. I have no idea what's there. And it was about justification and sanctification. And that, and that both are essential pieces, non-negotiable pieces of salvation. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was such a helpful experience. Like that, I, I think I told that guy once I got to Corsica, once I was called by them, but it was so helpful to recognize like, yes, you are or should be being sanctified and you should be being made more and more holy as you move on, as you mature in the Christian life. Yes. God, like God has to be part of that. His spirit is at work, uh, but it's not just about being saved, you know, mm-hmm. and having that stamp you're in heaven. Now uh, there is, there is fruit that needs to be born uh, and, and the good tree can only bear good fruit. The bad tree can only bear bad fruit. And that is, that is something that needs to be regained that, that yes, like 
we are pointing them to Jesus, but this is also going to happen yeah. if you're following well, Jesus. And then what, when you're pointing them to Jesus, you're pointing them to the one that fulfilled the law. Absolutely. <laughs> you're pointing them to the one that fulfilled and lived perfectly the law. So guess what you're pointing them to? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you're not just pointing them to a fluffy unicorn that they can grab hold of and feel comfy and warm with. You're pointing them to the son of God who fulfilled the law on our behalf. Amen. Uh, and, and we're, we've lost this idea that, that part of the good news is sanctification. Mm. Like I've, I've tried to tell people this, that like what good news is it that, Hey, I'm going to forgive your sins, but you're going to continue to live in a way that is going to be destructive to you and everyone around you. Mm. That's not good news. That's like, wait, I don't want to destroy everybody around me and destroy myself. But the good news is I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to transform you and I'm going to slowly pull you out of the pit of destruction that you've walked into. And I'm going to slowly set your feet on the rock. And yeah, you're going to be a dummy and you're going to jump back into that pit every <laughs> once in a while. And I'm going to pull you back out and say, knock it off, you know, set your feet on the path. But but that's the good news that there's actually some transformation happening. And, and one of the examples I've given people, I mean, we, we all realize anybody who's been a pastor for more than like three months realizes that sanctification is a long, slow, painful process. Yes. Um, it doesn't yes. have like you don't fix your <laughs> church through one sermon. You don't fix somebody through one meeting with them. It's this long, slow. Process. If Willie would go to seminary, he would, though. If Willie yeah, went to seminary, yeah. he'd change people by one sermon. So that's you right. It. You know it. Get your butt there. Anyway, um, but one of the one of the beauties I've told uh people, I've seen the gospel work generationally in my mm. family. And uh, you know, I have a great grandpa who had some pretty significant PTSD coming out of World War II. Mm. And I uh, came back a very angry man. Right. And then my grandpa was a pretty angry man. Right. And my dad was a pretty angry man. And then I grew up as a, as a young, angry man. Um, so we have this kind of generational thing. However, my grandpa, I can see sanctification in his life. My grandpa was a less angry man than his father. Mm. Dad was a less angry man than his father. And I, I sure hope I'm a less angry man than my <laughs> father. Um, not yeah. because my dad was so bad, but just because I, I, I feel like, we're learning, right? We're, we're kind Absolutely. of progressing in this and, and we can see this sanctification. And to be completely honest, I can just look at my dad's life and my mm. dad is a completely different man now than he was 30 years ago. Yeah. Definitely. And so we can just watch that. And that's good news that, that generationally the gospel is changing lives and, and changing families. Yeah. One of so yeah, another so, sort of rabbit trail here. I've been doing a lot of genealogy work. So I actually, my great grandpa was from Baldwin where I am now. Um, he was a, a minister in the CRC. And so this, I didn't know, I didn't know the town of Baldwin. I had never been here before I was called here. Um, but I knew there was a relation most likely with some of the people in my church. And that has been, as I've talked to some members of the church who are also been Zomerin is the last name uh, on my, my dad's grandma side. Uh, I've gotten to hear of the first generation that came to the faith 
And it, it, it was a, a Vin Zomerin who came to the faith because he, he really wanted to marry this girl uh, back in the, uh, it would have been like the 1890s, I think, is when they got together. And, and, and her dad was like, he needs to come to the faith. He needs to be a believer in order for you guys to get married. And that was where the faith started in this family line. And that's so cool, like to think about faith, you know, faith and transformation needs to start somewhere. And it isn't, it's going to, it's not going to come into full effect in one generation and everything is perfect. Like, like I'm not perfect. You guys aren't perfect. Your other 40, whatever guests that you've had on this podcast, not one of us is perfect. And people like, (laughs) if there's anything that needs to be stated clear, and I think we did a good job of that to go back to synod, but I think we do a good job of that in our churches. I remember you, Jason, talking about there's times where, when you have sins that you commit publicly that that you need to tell your congregation hey i messed up here like i need your forgiveness mm-hmm. you know and then there's other sins that are more private in nature and, and it isn't that you don't have to repent of those but it's a different it's a, it's a one-on-one repentance between you and god or you and your family your wife whatever it may be um and, and that is huh, that is just such an important thing to see is is how faith grows and sanctification grows and, and like you said like if we if we will take stock of the past, we, w- we will grow in these things as time goes on. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Dan DeGraff. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Reach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.